podcasters assemble. Hello, my name is Kev Kozer. My podcast is Talking Who to You, which is a podcast about Doctor Who audio dramas. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History. Hi, Chris Carroll here from the Comic Zombie Podcast. Hi, this is Georgina Gonzalez from Peace Island. This is Kate from the Blob of the Hut podcast. Hello, I am the Robo Gonzalez 9001. Hey, I'm Matt in Buffalo from Upper Pine Line 2, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Paul Salt from Screen Mayhem, and here's my thoughts about The Last Jedi. Star Wars, Episode 8, The Last Jedi. The First Order reigns, having decimated the peaceful Republic, Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys the merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistant fighters stand against the rising tyranny. Certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds towards the rebel base, the brave heroes must mount a desperate escape. My experience first watching The Last Jedi was probably my favorite of all the Star Wars premiere nights because I actually went all the way over to Dublin, Ireland for the premiere there and it was awesome. Me and my Blob of the Hut co-hosts got to go. Um, It's a lot smaller of a premiere than like Hollywood obviously and there was no like famous people or anything like that. But it was so amazing to be able to see the movie with so many scenes that were shot in Ireland, to actually watch that while I was in Ireland. So that was really special. My experience of first watching the movie, it was the same as when I saw episode 7, but I haven't seen Rogue One or Solo. So there were definitely a lot of things in this episode where I just went along with it, like, Oh, uh, okay, uh, Vice Admiral Holdo is important, and there's some backstory there, and okay. And uh, uh, I don't recognize those dice from the Millennium Falcon in the original trilogy, but uh, okay, they're important for some reason, all right? I don't really, once again, have a distinct memory of seeing this for the first time. I do know I saw it in theaters three times, one seeing it by myself, kind of sneaking out there. Once the, you know, the official story of seeing it with my work friend. And then I know I went out a third time to see it with my wife. And at least I have great memories of seeing it with her. And the standout moment is feeling her next to me and visibly seeing her positively react to that scene in the throne room. Where it looks like Kylo has turned. She got excited. And I don't think she has that you know, uh, core tingles in the core. When you hear the star Wars themes kick up, like when her hand lifts up, that sends a chill down my spine. I think she's instinctively got that. And then when we left the movie, she was talking about it afterwards and she was the one driving the conversation and bring it up. And that doesn't happen too much with my wife. 
and especially with genre movies. I'm the huge nerd here. She's the, you know, traditional kind of girly girl. So any movie that can do that, especially a genre one, thank you. I love you movies. You got her excited for that. And it's all through the characters and the right amount of action throughout. I first saw this movie at the Science Museum in London because the BFI IMAX was not showing it in 2D. I'm glad that they're showing Rise of the Skywalker in 2D this time. But we went to the Science Museum, which has a big IMAX screen. Um, It was Christmas 2017, and I was very excited. I loved the trailers, and I was just very curious. And I love Ryan Johnson, so I was very curious to see where this was going to go. And I absolutely loved the film. I loved how it focused on character, but still delivered on spectacle. I loved how daring it was visually. I loved the risks that it took with the story. I loved how invested I became in the drama. Um, And I came out and I wrote one of the longest reviews I've ever written for Screen Mayhem, giving it all five of the available stars that I had to award a film. Now, I heard rumblings of discontent from some quarters. You know, the odd BuzzFeed article and the like. Um, And some of these, ultimately, as the sort of backlash unfolded, some of the complaints were very easy to ignore. You know, like it's too inclusive, the cast is too diverse, the female characters are too strong, it's a conspiracy to put the men down. And I'm just delighted that this movie is offensive to people who have a problem with those things. I can only hope that the world of popular culture gets more frightening and alien to anyone who has a problem with any of that. But other complaints had some validity. Probably the most controversial Star Wars movie since the one two movies ago um but it's uh i think it's actually a pretty good movie i'm just not sure that it hits the points people wanted it to hit some of the uh quote-unquote revelations kind of fell flat things they were set up in episode seven were paid off technically in some ways um but maybe in ways that were unsatisfactory to some people so i appreciate those that don't like it um but i i I gotta say i enjoyed it there's some things i didn't love but it's a beautiful looking film. It's it's well acted for the most part. It's got a lot of humor to it. Some of the action sequences are really cool. Yeah, there's some logic fails and some characters that maybe aren't so great or whatever. But there's a lot of cool stuff and there's a lot to like. So a lot of people, a lot of fans like to complain that The Force Awakens was too close to the original trilogy. And then a lot of fans went back and complained that The Last Jedi was too different from what had come before. I liked them both. In fact, I really liked a lot of the choices they made in this movie that kind of took it in an unexpected direction. Um, It felt refreshing, and I was really glad by the end of the movie because I I didn't know what to expect with the next one. Um, I thought it was an excellent setup for the final chapter. Because really, that's a that's kind of what what the Empire Strikes Back did so well was um, it kind of left you thinking like, oh, how are they going to get out of this one? And um, I think they managed to do that again with this movie, but in a different way. Um, so yeah, I I totally give Ryan Johnson props in that regard. The overall theme of this story is all about failure in this movie, at least, and how all these characters react to it. Luke even calls that out with the help of Yoda at a certain point of that. It's how you react through failure. Failure as a leader and failure as a warrior, as a student, as a parent, all that. I think for the most part, every one of the major characters at one point or another fail in this movie. And the story is truly about how each one of them deal with that, how they react to it. 
But really what I think about in this movie when I go back to it is the individual character work here. I think by far it's the strongest of any of the Star Wars movies. And I think it's totally brilliant. It means so much to me. My favorite vehicle is the bombers that they use in the beginning to blow up the um, the ship. Um, and I love that sequence where Rose's sister gives her life to destroy the ship. It has real consequences to Poe's recklessness um, and makes the world feel a lot richer. You know, mistakes have consequences here. And she represents all of the rebels who are going to die in this film. You know, all these ships that are exploding, they have people like Rose's sister in them. She doesn't have a big role, but her impact on the movie is pretty immense. It's a great sequence, and part of it is the design of the ship, which really communicates the stakes, what needs to happen, and the cost of doing it. You know, you get this ladder, you've got the controls at the top, with no words exchanged, you know exactly what's going on. And then when all the bombs get let go, it's a really great little bit of... um, just visual panache, you know, where they all slide out in rows, and it's it's a great triumphant moment. In terms of the best uh, minor character, I mean, Rose's sister is pretty great, but um, and I love that she becomes the sole focus of this huge action sequence, you know, just a random soldier in this war. But um, she doesn't have big eyes and cute little wings. Um, I like that Poe is misguided in this one. You know, the hotshot who actually gets things wrong. I like that the plan fails, and I like the porgs. They're cute. I'm going to debate whether what they claim is the failure is a failure at all. It seems to me that that Dreadnought would have... He even calls it a fleet killer. That that Dreadnought would have been able to pick off the Resistance fleet during that chase with those huge guns. So yeah, maybe him throwing everything at the, the Dreadnought and taking it out saved them. But okay, anyhow, let's concede that what Leia says is that he was a failure as a leader here. But I think it's completely great that he realizes that he can't always be the flashy X-Wing dashing hero. Being a leader and not just that cartoon involves more than just that rakish, you know, I got cool hair and I'm going to blow things up thing. It requires actual wisdom. And yeah, it takes him a few times to get the lessons here because, yeah, that initial attack is probably a thing. But I think his more important failure here is with Admiral Haldo. He needs to see the bigger picture and all the pieces around him, have faith in his allies. Leia, the unimpeachable Leia, had faith in his Haldo. Shouldn't he also extend it to that? And the lessons he gets through that it's grooming him to be a true leader of the resistance and not just like a, a poster uh, recruiting tool. And man, it's, it's sad, but let's face reality here. Leia's character is going to be going away to an extent. This could be like that natural thing of her grooming him to take over if she can't be there anymore. So it would be really interesting to see if that is taken advantage of here. Because, yeah, the simple lesson is here that we see him at the end embrace of like, no, Luke is doing something here. He now has the wisdom to see that this isn't just let's go out in a blaze of glory. It's how can we actually take advantage of this situation? So yeah, maybe he is the leader of the resistance waiting in the wings. There is a bit of a brain drain at the top. The training sequences with Ray are my favorite strand of the film. I love the aesthetic of the island, the cinematography there, and the visions and such. I love that he's doubting the Jedi Order because they are doubtable. 
They have had mixed success, and Luke has always been at odds with their teaching, right back from Empire Strikes Back when they told him to not go after his friends, and he did. Um, the movie actually dares to scrutinize the mythology a bit, I love that. My favorite light side moment is when Luke is finally training Rey, and he tells her to close her eyes and asks her what she sees, and she goes on to say how she sees the island, she sees life, she sees death, hot, cold, and then the force and the energy, and then she says that she feels that within her too, and there's just this really beautiful look on her face when she says that, and I just really love that scene, and you can really tell Ray's connection to the force. The best music cue is when Ray actually does reach out in her training montage and sorry in her training sequence which incidentally i really like the gag that precedes it you know that's the force (laughs) that's that's funny but when she actually does reach out and starts feeling everywhere around her the music is just pure williams and it really sells this hopeful exciting adventurous discovery of the force you know it's like a playful kind of wonder wonderment you know you can feel everything it's all around you and it's there and it's part of you and it's it's very Star Wars, and the music is great in that moment. My favorite supporting character, and this is kind of weird. At first, I thought it was going to be um, the little bird, what are they, the porgs? Um, just because they're kind of cute looking and annoying enough where you're just like, ugh. But I think my favorite was those weird trollish looking nun things on Luke's Island that clearly hated Ray. And you had a lot of really great comedy bits with her unintentionally destroying stuff that's been there forever and then looking at her like, again, really? Love the Porgs. I love them because they are cute and they're silly. And unlike the Ewoks, they are appropriately used as comedic relief. They don't become these massively deadly warriors that everyone needs to be afraid of. They're just goofy and kind of dumb, a little bit fat. And they break up the tension when it's appropriate to do so. And their best scene is obviously when Chewie is trying to eat one. Um, and they just cut to one particularly heartbreaking looking pork. Just, oh, it really made me laugh because it's funny. My favorite light side moment. Oh boy, are there a lot to choose from. But I think it's the one where Leia just straight up yeets back into the Star Cruiser after she gets blown out of it. <laughs> My reaction as that thing was playing out was was just, I could not stop laughing as it happened. I was thinking, this is some Dragon Ball Z sh**. We saw some fancy Force stuff going on in the previous movies, but this is just ridiculous. I thought the shock of her apparently dying and the beauty of her flying back in is justification enough for the sequence. Those are two great just visceral moments shock and then just awe but beyond that she reached out to Luke previously in the movies before and we know there's a a, an inherited force thing it's kind of one of the core ideas of this movie her son's super force sensitive her father her brother stands to reason that she would be too and oh yeah she's been sitting there for 30 years now knowing this So you would think sitting there knowing you have this potential must count for something. So yeah, it's not that much of a shock to me that this would happen. And again, for all we know, The Rise of Skywalker could have been about her. And this was just the first part of her powers becoming really overt, seeing where it will go in the next movie. 
yeah, I'm going to allow it. It was nice. And little did I know that near the end, Ray would lift all of those boulders out using the force uh, at the old rebel base, which is much more of a Dragon Ball Z moment. But I, I don't know. That doesn't mean I didn't like it. I will say that I look forward to the Force Kamehameha, which I assume will happen in Episode 9. Or maybe Ren and Rey will do a fusion, ha! And it'll fuse the Force together, or some The greatest teacher failure is. So, of course, we get to see Yoda again in this movie, which I was ecstatic for and is actually yoda he's a puppet again he's funny and wise lucas forgot that yoda is funny and he's powerful without doing any backflips my favorite quote would be when ghost yoda after he's zapped the tree with that luke thinks contains the old jedi necronomicon in it and he says ah trickster i am i actually teared up when I realized that this was Yoda and I remembered what Yoda actually means to me. I, I did tear up in the movie when that happened, when he just gives this little speech. Oh man, what a beautiful moment. And we know Yoda had a few failures of his own, so he would be the one to be teaching Luke about failure. It's a good thing to remember in your day-to-day -day life to, to actually learn from your failures and don't just uh, give up the first time you fail. Keep on trying. Or do, or do not. There is no try. So maybe don't try. Just keep doing. Uh, I, I, I wish I that there were some more Ghost Yoda in this movie. Especially since, as I record, Baby Yoda memes are raging across the internet right now. And it would have been smart to add a few more Yoda moments, I think, in this episode. If they knew that there would be a Baby Yoda character in The Mandalorian coming up. And... So what I love about Last Jedi is this theme of failure that runs through it. And I think it's just something that gets so distorted and misunderstood by people who dislike it or even like it but don't fully love it like I do. But it's just something that's so powerful about it. It's, for starters, that's why it's the most interesting performance from Mark Hamill and why Luke is such an important part of that movie. It's a character you rarely ever see in other blockbusters this character who has failed who is grappling with this failure who has succumbed to this failure and his story which is the story that moves me most in the whole movie is him sort of realizing that even though he had this momentous failure with kylo ren he can still sort of move on and still do something good with what life he has left and i, I think it resounds resonates so much throughout the rest of the original trilogy. I and mean, you have this idea in episode five that Luke sort of screwed up his training by leaving early to fight Vader instead of staying with Yoda. And that's something that's brought up again in episode six when he's on Yoda's deathbed. This idea that uh, he, his training is incomplete. And even if he does stop Darth Vader, his training will always be incomplete. He's just, he can't be that perfect model, perfect Jedi that the Jedi, the prequel trilogies were. But, of course, the Jedi, the prequel trilogies, were also failures. They failed to stop the dark side. They failed to save the Republic. And that's just something that's so intrinsic to Star Wars. The good guys lose frequently. And what makes them heroic is their ability to stand up, regroup, and find that uh, new hope, to sort of <laughs> borrow that phrase. And, yeah, Last Jedi is just so powerful to me because of how 
profoundly sad Mark Hamill's performance is. And apparently the most controversial here is Luke. My God, do I love what they do to him or have him do in this story. Fans, I think, thought they were owed something with Luke. They've done all their fanfic. They've read all the expanded universe things where he's just this constant warrior, just endlessly chugging away at it. Like he'd be some sort of infallible godlike person who could never disappoint them. But what we saw here was brilliant, and I think absolutely correct. Think about it. Luke was a headstrong kid who basically only ever completed portions of his training. He had this enormous of power. He had a whole rebellion's worth of people thinking he's a hero. And imagine what his status was after the Battle of Endor. He, you know, essentially killed the Emperor. He essentially killed Darth Vader. So it makes all the sense in the world to me that he would have this headstrong nature and go into this training of kids before he even had this great handle on what it truly meant to be a Jedi. How old was he when he ended up trying to be the leader of these other people? I don't know, but probably too young, and he fails at it. And unfortunately for him... His failure was spectacular. He failed as a hero. He failed as a leader of people. He failed as basically a sort of father figure for Kylo. Because, you know, Han's going to be a kind of a crap father. This, you know, he can step in to like fill in some of the gaps there. Failed at it. He failed as a teacher. He failed in every way that made him what he was or what he thought he was basically. So it absolutely makes sense to me that he would retreat and have a prolonged period of self-reflection and frankly, shame and embarrassment. My favorite quote in the movie is definitely Luke to R2 when he's essentially saying like, Hey, I'm I'm out of this. I can't help. And R2 replays Leia's message to Obi-Wan And Luke just kind of looks at him and goes, that was a low blow. Really, the the only part of this movie I felt like uh, didn't really work was the whole sequence on um, the casino planet. I can't remember what that place is called. Canto Bright? Is that that what it is? That that can't be right. Anyways, um, it's not that I didn't like the concept. It was just, it felt a little out of place and it felt like that whole scene where they free the animals and kind of escape and all that. It just seemed like an extraneous action scene that we didn't really need. I mean, sure. There's not, there's not a lot of um, big action scenes in this movie, but that's kind of what I like about it. You know, they didn't need to add one in just for, you know, it felt like an obligatory, uh, it felt like, felt like producer notes, you know? But if you look back at Empire Strikes Back, that that's another movie that's that doesn't have a lot of big action scenes, but the scenes when they happen, they have a lot of meaning behind them. Let's be honest here. Most Star Wars movies have these to one degree or another. The giant iconic sandworm in the asteroid, basically all of the Jabba's palace sequence, kind of pointless, just action and cool location. The monsters on the ship in The Force Awakens, so on, so forth, on and on. Star Wars is, 
about unique worlds and action and setting up these cool locales and being exposed to all this. But beyond that, you see they actually do make good use of this. That area has a great impact on Finn. And so therefore, it's driving what I propose is the most important thing about this movie. It's the characters. Also, it's world building in a fun new way. It's doing the same thing that The Mandalorian is doing that people are praising it for, is expanding this universe. It's making this feel more and more like a real universe with more stories going on just beyond Luke and Darth Vader. The problem that most people seem to have is the idea that screen time is being devoted to a plan that fails. Um, but the failure of the plan has such huge consequences on the story. And it ties into the main theme of the film, which is that failure is an essential part of growing and not something that you should try and, you know, hide from or be afraid of. It's inevitable and it's how you learn. Now, while Poe had that hero thing down and it was the leadership that he needed, I think what we see Finn failing at is that hero aspect. He is struggling with what it means and what the responsibilities are that come with that. We see that when he admits that this isn't necessarily his thing and he tries to struggle and run away. At least his motivations here are good in that he's trying to save his friend, Ray. But through all this movie, he starts to embrace the role of what it means to be one, less so a hero, but a resistance fire, fighter. And that there are more people out there to fight for in this than just Ray or himself. And this is where... Rose, I think, is a great character, but she's a really great influence in the story because how it affects Finn. She's an amazing influence on him. So he wants to fight for her, but she opens his eyes on Cantabite about being oppressed and everything that comes with that in the bigger picture of the world. So Finn here, I think he has a great turnaround from knowing that the First Order is bad and wanting to rightfully run away from them to eventually coming around full circle and understanding that not only are they bad, that you need to stand up. Everybody needs to actively stand up and fight directly against them. That is essential. And that's the big lesson that he's learned here. My favorite minor character would probably be the alien on the casino planet who has had one too many and thought that BB-8 was a slot machine, uh, especially for the payoff that we get in the jail escape later on in the movie because of that. I think in this movie, my favorite minor character has got to be DJ. What an interesting character. I mean, you're not really sure what his motivation is. Like, is he gonna side with the good guys? Is he gonna side with the bad guys? Is he morally bankrupt? Are we gonna see him again? And then there's the whole issue he brought up about war and, you know, basically they're all buying weapons and they're all fighting. Is there really a good side when you're fighting? Some very complicated subject matter that I think really goes well in a movie all about war. So yeah, he might be a bad guy, kinda, but he I think he's more of like a natural extension of what the Han Solo type person would be in that universe without the little heart of gold wannabe hero that Han Solo was. This guy is that character without that. My favorite droid moment. 
Okay, just like Arjuna says he can't keep saying it's the Millennium Falcon for his favorite ship or vehicle, I can't keep saying R2-D2 for my favorite droid moment. It would be when Rose and Finn are sneaking into the First Order cruiser and in order to blend in as a droid, they've put a box on top of BB-8 to try to disguise him as a droid. I, I am just as much of a Metal Gear Solid fan as Arjuna is, and I just love the idea of a droid sneaking around in a First Order or Empire cruiser with a box over him. <laughs> huh? It's just a box. Uh, I want my Metal Gear Solid Star Wars crossover now. Now, how about all those mysteries? The great mystery of Snoke. All those blogs about, you know, where he came from. Who gives a crap? He isn't a main character at all. What an amazing twist that he dies in act two of the second of three movies. Who saw that coming? Really? Supreme Leader Snoke was one of those characters. He was an emperor-like character. You only see him in like uh, hologram type situations and everything. And he's the big bad behind the big bad. Um, so to see, you know, knowing Andy Serkis is going to be playing the motion capture performance is really exciting. And knowing we were going to get to see more of this supposedly really powerful guy uh, was was pretty cool. And then to see him get kind of snuffed out was, I guess, a little disappointing from like a promise. Like it, it felt like there was a lot more that could have been done with the character. But the moment itself was actually really cool um, where Kylo essentially tricks him into thinking he's going to be killing Rey and turns the lightsaber and cuts him in half. I, I really like the use of the lightsaber there. It kicks off a really cool action sequence. I, it was probably my favorite dark side moment. And I guess I call it a dark side moment, even though it's the bad guy getting killed because a Jedi presumably wouldn't do that. But you know, it's a laser sword. You got to use it to kill somebody. That moment where you're like, oh, what are they? Oh, th there's no rules in this anymore. I don't know where this story is going to go. Is that not exciting? This guy... He's just not going to be another Emperor Palpatine. We aren't doing that story again. Oh, okay. Hold on. Wait. Hmm. We'll come back to that. I love killing Snoke and having the drama be purely about Rey and Kylo Ren. He served his purpose. It's time for Kylo to be the head of the um, First Order. Best dark side moment? It would have to be when Kylo tries to turn Rey after killing Snoke. They have that awesome moment where they fight off the Imperial Guards together. Rey tries to turn Kylo to the, the good side, and Kylo tries to kind of do the same thing and turn Rey to the dark side. But his approach, I mean, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking for Rey, because she really thought that she saw good in him, and she thought she had a moment to really uh, make a difference, and turns out that he was kind of in the same boat you know he uh he saw a lot of darkness in her and um you know fully expected her to join him kylo and ray try to appeal to each other you know and ren is kylo ren is just proving immovable uh he reveals who ray's parents are which is a good reveal i like that she's not tied to this by blood it makes her more interesting and less predictable and I just love Driver's performance. I love him in all of these movies, but in this particular scene when he tries to appeal to Rey to join him, it's it's actually one of the better appeals to the light character to join the dark side because he actually has good reason. You know, f*** it. 
you know, the past has been a mistake. A lot of people have let you down. Join me and we can make something new. That's an appealing offer. <laughs> I like that. And so, yeah, I think that in that burning, that burning throne room with this big cut in his face, there's just, yeah, a really cool dark side moment for me. And then we have Ray, And I think it's kind of hard to put it the right way. But I think she fails herself here. She fails her unrealistic expectations of herself and others. First, she holds out all this false hope of what and the like the romanticized idea of who her parents are. And I absolutely and might be one of the better moments of the movie, too, is I absolutely love the moment when Ren gives her the hard truths about who her parents are. And she acts absolutely recognizes it to be true that her parents are nobodies and she has all this false hope in Kylo that she's going to be able to want be the one that can easily turn him and when she sees these two things fail it's really difficult to watch to see her realize this to accept that her parents are nobody and to accept that she can't so easily just change somebody But how does she react to this? I think you can clearly see how she turns this into embracing her own agency and purpose. She is liberated by this truth of her past, or basically lack of a past. She can be her own person. She can train herself into something potentially different than what the Jedi were, what the what the expectations of that were, what her false expectations of whatever these phony parents that she concocted up were. She can embrace her own version of this hero. She can move past whatever her idealized image of Luke was. She can see that is uh, the failures of him and hopefully change that and incorporate that into her learning as well. But you don't get the sense that she's abandoning Kylo at all in this. She has that core good. I don't see the hinting that she could be turned and how Kylo says she'll be turned ultimately in the end. I think it's going to be something much more complicated than that with all these lessons that she's learned from all the false expectations that are placed upon her. Her turn is going to be something I think a little bit more into the Grey Jedi maybe area. Who knows? But what it is, is it's taking the shackles off of her character and giving her all this tremendous freedom with the core ideas that I think she's still fundamentally a very good, hopeful person. My favorite dark side moment would be when Ren chokes General Hux after Supreme Leader Snooki, uh, Snoke has been killed and Ren says the Supreme Leader is dead and Hux says he's being choked long live the Supreme Leader. Because from then on, I kind of feel like he's actually a good villain. Uh, he isn't like the temper tantrumy uh, knockoff Anakin that we saw in the previous episode. Like now he's taking after Anakin Skywalker from the original trilogy, not the prequel movies. Finally. Um, we know from previous movies that Kylo Ren's grandfather, Darth Vader has an affinity for choking people as well. So I thought that was a nice little nod to some of the previous films. And we can see how force choking runs in the family. (laughs) 
the best light side moment is when Admiral Holdo light speed crashes into the First Order ships. It looks gorgeous, and the cutting of all the sound and the score is very striking. Um, but it's also just a really great character moment. Wow, she is just a genuinely an amazing person that you are fooled into thinking through movie conventions that there's something suspicious about her or what her motivations are. And you find out that, oh, I should never have doubted her ever to begin with. She's probably like a fundamentally amazing, tough, yes, but a great person. By following Poe's perspective throughout the movie, we're forced to hold a certain view of Holdo as being a sort of stick in the mud, the stereotypical sort of dean of the university, so to speak, who gets in the way of our great hero and his brilliant plan to save everyone. So, you know, just a pencil pusher. So I love the twist that she's actually this fantastic leader who had every reason not to trust Poe and involve him in the plan. You know, he tends to f*** things up. He's impulsive. So really, she should have just locked him up way earlier in the film. And then we have this amazing moment where she gets to demonstrate her heroism and strength in this completely believable way. This isn't the prequel trilogy where suddenly she's going to whip out a lightsaber and start doing backflips. By pressing just a few buttons and making this huge sacrifice, she proves herself to be a hero. There are a lot of really cool inventive vehicles or, and, and, and uh, spaceships in this movie, so it's hard to choose just one. The bombers at the beginning are really cool. Those weird rickety skiff things they have from the resistance base at the end are pretty cool. I guess my favorite, and probably a lot of this comes from the use of it, would be the, uh, the resistance's fleet ship that uh, Admiral Haldo uses to go warp... Is it warp speed? That's Star Trek. Hyperspeed? Light speed? Whatever. All right, hold on. I guess it would be the resistance fleet ship that uh, Admiral Haldo uses to go like light speed or warp speed or whatever uh, right through the First Order ships. First of all, that's like the most gorgeous single shot. It's amazing. But that ship looks really cool, and the use of it is pretty sweet. Um, but there's, like I said, there's a lot of really cool ships and vehicles in this movie, so I don't think you can really go wrong with pretty much any of them. Um, Snoke's ship, uh, whatever that thing was, is one of the coolest uh, ships in the entire franchise. I like the rust buckets on Crate. You can tell, you know, since the whole planet's salt, it's really been hard on all those metal ships, but that's all that the Resistance had. And that ragtag team of Resistance fighters... They did what they could the best way they knew how. Now, the best line is cheating a bit because it's lent poignancy by the real world passing of Carrie Fisher. Um, when Luke tells Leia, uh, no one's ever really gone, it broke my heart and I did tear up for the second time in that movie. Um, there's quite a sense of mourning in this film. Things are passing, characters are dying, good times are kind of behind us, and it's looking bleak. It's a very dark film. And, you know, for me, far darker than something like Revenge of the Sith, which is considered the sort of dark Star Wars film. But this little sentiment, this statement of hope that no one's ever really gone, which has, you know, obviously then been a big part of the marketing for the next one. Yeah, it really got me. That, that, was, that was a moment that moved me. All right. So speaking of Leia now here, she faces more failure. In this, I think you could argue that it's in the form of the Resistance. They're basically all decimated. But I don't think you see her suffering from that as seeing it as a failure. Yeah, here I argue that she is tired. 
but I think she basically has endless faith in the power of the resistance or the rebellion or whatever it might be. I think she's the strongest person in that regard. But here I think she is confronting her failure as a parent. You can see that on her face when Ren is attacking the ship and eventually, you know, she gets blown out into space. You can see that, I think, again, when she's at the door of the base at the end, because she's sitting there waiting for now she sees, and at this point she's at her lowest when it comes to Ren. She's waiting for her son to come down to finally kill her. And this isn't something you can easily come back from. And again, here, I think this is such a sad thing that would have been played out more in the upcoming movie because you can't really play this out in the space of one movie here, basically. It's sad that we're not going to get that resolution of how she starts to work her way back from that. I think she would have been much more involved in this Ren angle in the next movie because for all we know, the rise of Skywalker could be reflecting her. And you can see that spark of hope from this part. She has the spark of hope from the Rebellion. No problem. But I think you can see Luke at the end give her the spark of hope when he says that no one is really gone talking about Ren. So I think the the culmination of that story and the continuation of that story would have been in in this next movie coming up. So the full arc there, I think, was to be seen. Unfortunately, we might not get the end of it. I think one of the coolest scenes in the entire movie is when Luke has his astral confrontation with Kylo Ren. That entire scene is just so epic. Favorite light side moment has got to be, and it's probably the same one everyone else picked, but when Luke shows up to save the day and totally panics Kylo and and everybody and takes this insane barrage and just kind of dusts his shoulder off and all that. That that whole sequence is incredibly cool. I I was a little let down when the the twist that he's not really there popped up, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wow, that's actually incredibly impressive that he's strong enough to be able to essentially astral project God knows how far away. But then that's immediately followed up with him dying. And I can't for the life of me imagine why they thought it was a good idea to let Luke Skywalker go out like that, but there's another movie left and we'll see where they go. And the story is here, him eventually embracing what the symbolism of what he was is. And that, yeah, his failures are real. He does see that in Ben. And you can see him admit to it there. They basically failed each other. But facing down these demons, he does embrace this symbol of what Luke Skywalker is and he once again is willing to embrace the spark that he created. Yeah, he has his limitations. He can't be that true hero that always faces down the First Order with a laser sword. But he can be now a symbol. And I think that's a great maturation from him. I can't believe people are actually upset about Luke projecting himself or the visions of uh, Kylo and Ray talking to each other. Why in the world would you want to know everything about the Force and have no surprises left? Don't you want this mythical, magical Force to have a few tricks still up its sleeve to keep you, you know, constantly in a sense of wonder? This expands the Force 
into more, like I said, wondrous directions, capable of all doing all these things. Don't you want it to be more than just, hey, look, a Jedi can jump and run fast, you know? Uh, no, come on. It's great. I just love that this exchange between the two and that beautifully shot scene on Crate. And he says, as the resistance is dead, the war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. And then we get the great comeback, the callback of every word you just said was wrong. But in a way, Ben is right, too. Uh, Luke, the resistance is crippled and the war is almost over like it's so close to being true and luke in a sense is the last jedi but he's also not and ray is something different from this jedi order that was mutated and discarded by the time it got to luke and will be mutated and discarded again by the time it gets to her it's this idea of failure becoming something new and renewing like these sort of good ideals in the world and yeah i mean in that exchanges also proceed by Luke apologizing for failing Ben. Uh, ben or Kylo, this character is also sort of a product of failure, and he can't get over this failure that Luke had to train him properly. And he's trying to sort of be this best person, but he, he keeps getting in his own way. It is such a dynamic character interaction. It's such a beautiful little complex thing. And then yeah, failure is such a common theme throughout the rest of the movie. I mean, you have Pose failed insurrection that winds up being misguided. You have uh, Finn and Rose's failed like mission on Canto Pite, which just winds up getting them in more trouble. And these, these failures, they're not, they don't make them dumb, they don't make them bad characters. They just make them more interesting and flawed because they have these lessons that they have now learned from. And I just love that this idea of because we all fail and it's just a constant through life and i just love how last jedi this message seems to be you can fail but you can always pick yourself back up and you can always find a way to find renewal and failure take lessons from failure and become like a stronger person through it and then we finally have the failures of kylo ren he's a failure as a student and basically potentially two times over a failure of a student of Luke and a failure of a student of Snoke. He's potentially a failure of a leader with all the embarrassment, presumably that he took in front of his army. When Luke faced him down, he looked like a petulant kid in front of a huge contingent of his army and swinging at a ghost. That's embarrassing. It's going to be interesting to see how he bounces back from that. And he's a failure with Ray, And you can see that when she shuts the door on his face when she's entering into the Millennium Falcon at the end. And the most heartbreaking of it all is you can see him as a failure as a son. The visual of Han's, uh, you know, golden dice, the ones that Luke projected, disappearing in his hands as he is sitting utterly alone with his whole army, faceless, just army following him out of fear juxtaposed with Ray flying off in like you know the warmest of all hopeful ships the Millennium Falcon surrounded by uh, surrounded by the core of the resistance that's really powerful and here we'll see if this him hitting this rock bottom is basically the foundation of where his character goes from here so yeah we have all these cool arcs of failure 
some of them are tied up pretty nicely internal to the story. Luke is the most complex and the, the, the most wonderful one of all. But then you have all these different levels that I think are just really beautiful and fantastic. And hopefully these are continued on in as respectful of a way for these characters into the next movie. So we're not talking about Rogue One, but coming off one of my favorite Star Wars movies in Rogue One, I had a lot of expectations for The Last Jedi, especially with having my favorite character, Luke Skywalker, uh, as teased, featured heavily. Um, I was a little disappointed in some of the overall uses of some of the characters. I I don't know if I love the story of the movie, but there's a lot of cool action sequences, a lot of cool character moments. Um, I, I don't know quite what to think about the whole... Uh, the sequences of Rey and Kylo like connecting over the Force, but there are some really inventive, cool scenes in there, like with a bit where Rey and her multiple mirror versions where she snaps and all that. Um, so you know, I don't know if it's it's not going to be on my favorite list anytime soon, but I don't dislike it. I think it's a, a good movie that I'll rewatch occasionally. As for anything else, like a few other thoughts, um, uh, I gotta say it was a roller coaster ride. Uh, watching this movie in terms of wondering how much they were going to try to pander to nostalgia of the original trilogy. Like, when I read the opening crawl text at the beginning, it felt like it was just going to be a rip-off of The Empire Strikes Back. It sounded so much like the setup to Episode Five, But then... You know, it, it got a little bit different and a little bit more different. And oh, oh, no, 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 this really is different enough. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. This is about as original as the Star Wars movies can get. And I think it is wildly respectful to the characters. Yes, absolutely. It put them in tough spots. But it allowed the characters to be real. It allows them to be flawed. But it gives them the opportunity to learn and to grow from that. And I think that's amazing. It'll be interesting to see where they go in episode nine with JJ coming back after the, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a deviation, but I guess the direction Johnson took the story after seven uh, to see if JJ tries to kind of course correct and and re maybe retell some of those reveals or if he just kind of adapts and flies with it. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I just love it all. So far, The Last Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film. Um, And I just hope that Rise of the Skywalker doesn't commit its runtime to retconning some of this film's more daring moments. Ray doesn't need a set of parents in order to be involved in this drama. Um, Snoke doesn't have to be anyone, and he doesn't have to come back. Just leave it. It's fine. Just tell your own story. This movie took what you thought was going to happen, and it put it on its ear. You can't predict what's going to happen in this next movie. This one was bold, and it took chances. I can't thank it enough for that. So yeah, this this movie really leaves you with a lot of questions. Um, There's so many unanswered questions. How many bathrooms are there on the Millennium Falcon? And after watching um, these movies a couple times, I've kind of started to develop a little bit of a fan theory uh, concerning Snoke. And I'm not going to say what it is, just in case I'm right, because I don't want to spoil it for anyone going into Episode Nine if if what I think it is happens to be the case. So I guess we'll see where they go with that. Um, Sorry to be vague. Anyways, I'm really excited to see um, how they end up tying this entire saga together in this final movie. 
Especially with, what's the deal with Palpatine coming back? Is he an uh, evil force ghost? Is he a clone? Did he never really die? I mean, I'm, I'm happy that I don't know going in, but um, yeah, I need that. I need that, uh, that solved. <laughs> I may be Captain Obvious here, but I'm going to make a prediction for episode nine that there's going to be some kind of Avengers Assemble moment at the end where the entire Outer Rim gets together to finally take down the First Order. And there will probably be Dragon Ball Z and Metal Gear Solid too. I struggle with whether this is the best Star Wars movie ever or not. Minimally, it's certainly up there with Empire. And I rewatched this in preparation for this podcast, and I've decided that, yes, this is actually the best Star Wars movie. I think it's the best directed one. I think the acting is amazing. The movie the movie is beautiful. And the action is spectacular. And I think it is also the best written one. And by a good margin. And that's it. This is the best Star Wars movie, I think. I really love it. And I will literally fight anyone on this podcast who says otherwise. V- verbally. Verbally. From a distance. Please. Podcasters Assemble, probably, Season 2, The Rise of Podcast, is a production of the We Can Make This Work, Probably, Podcast Network. This episode, edited and produced by Tyler. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com, and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble, Probably, by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to places where you can find them all online. Podcasters Assembled Probably will return in Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. And then Ray tries to turn him to the dark side. Turn <laughs> Ray tries to turn Kylo to the the good side, 